califragilistic. How does it end? That's right. You know the ending of that big, long word. Do you know the 1964 movie that made it popular? Okay. Mary Poppins. Very good. Can you spell it? <laughs> Do you think you can? Thinking through it. Okay. Super. S-U-P-E-R. Cali. C-A-L-I. Fragi. F-A or F-R-A-G-I. And then listic. L-I-S. T-I-C, Expia, E-X-P-I-A, Lidocious, L-I-D-O-C-I-O-U-S, all right? And so maybe you got it right. I got to read it. So, but I will tell you, when I went to type it on my paper at the beginning, it had one of those red squiggly lines underneath it saying like, this word is misspelled. Well, I went back and looked at it and I realized that I actually hadn't done the word correctly. I, I called it supercalifragilicious expialidocious. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. So then I realized what the right word was, went back in and changed it a little bit. And the red line disappeared. Like I was amazed. I'm like, my computer knows this word. So then like I Googled how many dictionaries, you know, have this word in it. And it said, actually, quite a few dictionaries have the word supercalifragilistic expialidocious in it. And so I was amazed by that. And so that got me thinking about different big words that we come across or maybe we use. And it reminded me of a movie called Aquila and the Bee. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was quite a few years ago that they made it. But it's all about this little girl and not that she wanted to at the beginning, but she begins studying and realizing that she's good at spelling and her whole community comes around her and helps her to be able to prepare for the spelling bee. And so I don't know if you've actually ever watched the National Spelling Bee on television. I mean, it is now something that you can watch. Um, Back in 2019, they had a record for how many winners there was that year. There was an eight-way tie. Like these eight people made it all the way through 20 rounds of words. And so uh, that was pretty incredible. They said no other spelling bee, though, has had more than two winners. All right. So every other spelling bee has had two winners or just one. There was this quote about the spelling bee. It said, since the inaugural competition in 1925, so that was the first year of the National Spelling Bee, says the words featured in the bee have become increasingly more difficult and obscure, requiring participants to have a commanding knowledge of root words, etymology, and world languages. And so just for fun, I pulled up the page that had all of the the winning words. Like what was the word that the final contestant spelled to get right and win and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be honest, looked like a bunch of letters put together. (laughs) Like there are a lot of words that I'm like, that's a word. Like I had no idea just thought, just looking at that. And I don't know, speaking about all these big words, if you're someone that likes to use big words, like, I don't know if you're someone that loves to learn new words, to add them to your vocabulary, but today's sermon, we're going to start by talking about a couple big words that you might hear in the church that's going to help us with our study of Colossians. All right. And so if you have your Bibles or your devices, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter three. But if you hear this idea about big words and that scares you, like, let me tell you, don't get too afraid because I'm reminded of what I went to at a middle school camp. A speaker was talking about a big word. I don't remember what the big word was, but he said, yes, such and such is a big word, but so is mayonnaise. And you all know what mayonnaise is. And so it's not just because a word is big that we don't understand it, but do we take the time to understand these words? So today, there are two words that I want to look at that are going to help us understand Colossians. The first word that we're looking at is justification. All right? I want you to say that word out loud. Ready? Go for it. 
All right, justification. Maybe you've heard that word before in a church setting. Maybe you know what it is, but justification is actually a legal term. All right, it refers to the act of making something right or declaring it good, executing justice. And so if someone is justified, they are acquitted from some sort of charge that has been brought against them. And in some contexts, it even includes this idea of now you are seen as righteous, okay? This evil, this bad thing is not being held against you because you are innocent. That is what justification is, all right? The second word we want to understand is sanctification, all right? So say that word out loud. All right. See, if you go around sounding like as confident as you did, like everyone's going to think that you know what you're talking about, even just by saying that. But sanctification, this word means to set apart for a special purpose. It is the state or the process of being set apart. It means to purify, to cleanse, to make something holy. Okay, so justification, sanctification. How do those words tie in with what we're studying? If we go back to the simple gospel message, all right, because the message really is simple. It doesn't always make it easy to follow, but it's simple. What we re- learn is that every single person who has ever lived is a sinner. Like we all have chosen to rebel against God, do our own thing, but it doesn't just stop there. Jesus came to die on a cross. In fact, Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death because of our actions. But in that exact same verse, it tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So through Jesus and him dying on the cross, it has then been offered that you and I can be justified when we choose him. You and I, we can be declared righteous because he has actually taken the charges upon himself. Okay? We've also talked about how at the moment that someone is saved, he or she is declared holy. You are declared set apart. It's nothing that you have to earn because God gives it to you. When you choose him, you are declared holy. But after that moment, that moment that you and I are saved, God begins this process of sanctifying us. He works in us as he molds us. One author wrote that sanctification is the evidence that a believer really has partaken in the righteousness of Jesus. It's basically the fruit of God working in us. And so Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, It is God's will that you would be sanctified. Jesus praying before he's about to go to the cross. He prays for his disciples. In John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth says, your word is truth. And so sanctification, it is this process that continues in us until the day that you and I are with him again. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Like God will continue to work in you. And so all of that is important because when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, they have been saved. You cannot do anything to earn that salvation or even improve your standing with him. However, there are actions that we do as a result of his work in us. Sometimes we even call it spiritual formation. And I love what Dallas Willard said about grace. He said, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. 
Like you and I, when we live in grace, it's not that we earn anything, but it doesn't just call us to be lazy. You and I, we respond because of the grace of God. And so, so much of the first part of the letter of Colossians was addressing this fact that Jesus is the one that saves, that he is who you need for salvation. He is enough. Essentially, you are justified. Remember that time that you were justified. That's the first half of Colossians. And now we're kind of shifting because the second part of the letter is going to focus on how a follower of Christ should be living. Let's look at this sanctification process. Remember that this letter was written to believers, to a church. And so there are things that should be happening as God is working in you. And I don't know what your heading says in your Bible right above chapter three. The NIV says rules for holy living. The ESV says, put on the new self. The King James Version says his sovereign will. Or even the New Living Translation, it says living the new life. And from all of those headings, you can hear this idea that God has a desire that as we grow in him, there are ways that we ought to live because we have been saved. And so this morning, we're going to look at what that foundation is that helps us to live fully that way. And it's found in four short verses here at the beginning of chapter three. And we're simply going to go through them one at a time. And so if we go to chapter three, starting in verse one, here's what Paul wrote. Since then... You have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so, just there's verse 1. He starts out with this idea of since then. It's still that idea of therefore. It's a connecting word. And so, because you were raised with Christ. Remember, last week, we looked at this idea of this circumcision that happened inside of us, but then we were also buried with him, and then we were raised with him. So, he's referring to that. Because, again, you have been raised with Christ, there should be a response. He says that response is to set your hearts on things above. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word set. There are different things that we set. Maybe in your car, you have set certain radio stations that you can quickly get to them when one of your stations is like listening to something that you don't want to listen to. It's a commercial. It's a song that you don't like. You can quickly go to another station because you have set it. It was an important station to you. Or maybe there are certain television shows or things that are on, and so you set the recorder to be able to be able to go back and watch that. Now, in our day of streaming, it's not quite as important, but man, that used to be something that people did all the time. I'm going to set my VCR or a recorder to be able to um, record this because I want to see it. You know what? We're talking about setting things. How often do you set an alarm? to wake up or to remember a certain appointment? And like, how much do you panic when you wake up and it didn't go off because you set it for like PM instead of AM and like you're running around everywhere. You're like, whoa, and all that kind of stuff. But we set this because it's an important time. Or you even think about dinner time. You set the table in preparation for what is about to happen. And so there's this idea of setting, setting our hearts on things above. We're preparing for something. In fact, one of the other translations says, seek the things that are above. I like that translation, this idea of desire those things, strive for those things, those things that are above. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more here in a moment. But a a different verse that popped into my mind as I was reading this section is when Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, verse 33, he says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And it says, all these things will be given to you as well. 
Like in that verse, Jesus is saying, if you seek me, if you seek my ways, then all of your needs, all the things on this earth will be taken care of. But seek me first. Seek that which is above, which in our text includes where Christ is, because he is seated at the right hand of God. In fact, there are multiple verses as you read through Scripture where it speaks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting because his work is already done, and so he continues to be the mediator for us, but he is at the right hand because that is the position of supreme authority. And so Paul, in verse 1, simply says, because Christ has been raised, because you have also been raised with Christ, seek him and his ways. And so then in verse 2, as we continue on, he says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And again, that sounds pretty similar to what we just read, except in the first one, it talks about setting your hearts, you know, seeking that. Now we're setting our minds. We've sought heaven, but now we're thinking heaven. Dwell on these type of things. Reflect on them. And that does include your intellect, like your brain, but it also includes your will, And it also includes your motives, like that which is deep within you, that which guides you. Focus that upon him. And as followers of Jesus, you and I, we're called not to just withdraw from the world, not to go, oh man, look at all this evil. God doesn't want us to be a part of that. We should just withdraw by ourselves. But instead, you and I, we are called to see things in the light of eternity, Because the world is not all that matters. And you know, yes, there are things that are evil all around us, but earthly things in and of themselves are not necessarily evil. Things like wealth or worldly honor or power or pleasure. Some of those things can be good things. But Paul says, don't let those be your main goal. Don't let those things be what you focus on day in and day out. May our allegiance be to Christ before anything else. And as we're talking about setting our minds on things above, it's important to know you don't have to do that yourself. Oh, yes, you can direct it that way, but God will continue to work on your mind. In fact, in Romans 12, 2, it says that as we live our lives as sacrifices, like I am living my life as this holy sacrifice to him, and as we choose not to conform to this world, like I'm not just going to go along with everything that's going on. As we do that, it says we allow him to renew our minds, which leads to transf- transformation. The renewing of our minds, it leads to transformation. So the basis for all this change in our lives, for this sanctification process, is setting our hearts, or setting our minds, or setting our eyes upon God, and not just what is going on right in front of us. Matt Chandler, in a sermon on this exact text, he says that so many of us are tired because our eyes are constantly on us or on me. Like we look at my problems or my circumstances or my talents or my achievements. said, think about it. Even the Christian books that maybe you read, how many of them are actually having you focus on God versus on what you need to do to live a Christian life? said, so often we read with the idea or we search with the thought of, well, fix me first so then I can understand who God is, when really we ought to seek God first. And then we see ourselves in the light of who God is, and that's when things really start to move. C.S. Lewis once wrote, it is he who thinks most of the next world 
that does the most in this world. So in our text, Paul is simply saying, because you are living in Christ, focus, make sure your focus is on that which is eternal. Then we get to verse three, and it says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So this idea of you died, you were buried with him. Remember that old self was put to death, died. It is a definite act. I remember a story that one of our professors told us at college that he said there was a student that came from another country and so he started learning about Jesus and he's like, I want to completely be all in. I want to live for him. And so they went down to the creek and he was ready to get baptized. And so the professor was about ready to like dunk him backwards and like he kind of stiffened up. And so he's like, okay, well, sometimes people just, you know, are nervous in the moment. So then he tried again, and this guy would not go down into the water. And so the professor just asked him, like, are you ready for this? Is this what you want to do? And he said, no, I really want this. Like, I love Jesus. I want to be all in. He said, I'm just trying to get over, like, my fear of actually dying here. Like, he thought that as he went under, somehow he would physically die, and Jesus was going to bring him back. Like, that's faith saying, I want all in that way. And as we're talking about this idea of dying, it is not a physical death that you and I have to experience. But when Paul is writing, he says, remember that moment, though. Remember that moment that the old self, like you died to it. It no longer was that which ran your life. So you died, but now your life is hidden in Christ. And maybe when you hear this word hidden, I think about some Old Testament spots where God is your refuge. So come hide underneath his wing or he is your hiding place. And so because of that, we are secure in God. We are secure in Christ. We can be safe in him. But I really think when Paul is talking about hidden here, he's talking about the meaning where, well, you can't see it. Like you and I can't see it. You know, maybe you've played many a game of hide and seek in your life. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, You belong to Jesus in the invisible spiritual realm. Like we can't see that with our eyes and other people, they can't see it either. Like we see the fruit. We see the fruit of people's lives of do I choose to follow after Jesus? But you and I, we cannot see if someone is following Jesus just by a quick glance of them. Oh, sure, someone may have some jewelry that, oh, look, there's a cross jewelry. Or there may even be some sort of religious tattoo. Or they just walk around smiling all the time. And you're like, I wonder if they know who Jesus is. And that's what leads them to that. But none, nothing from the outside shows what is in your heart at first glance. And I will tell you, in the exact same way, we see the physical church meeting this morning. But we can't see inside of everyone. You know what, people, we do a good job of acting in places where we don't really want to show what the true self is, how we're feeling in the moment. And so even in this, sometimes we can act like we love God, like we're doing the things that we should be doing. But as I look at Scripture, like one of the scary things to me is that not everyone who sits in a church building, like even regularly, is going to be worshiping in heaven. Because you and I, we can fool people around us. But who you really are, though it's hidden from other people, it is not hidden from Christ. And so for now, when I give my life to him, following him means that my life is hidden in him. But remember, it won't always be that way. It won't always be hidden. Because Paul immediately gets to verse 4, where he says, When Christ 
who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, as you've been seeking him, as you are hidden in him, when he appears, that word, it means when he shows himself, when he is revealed, when he is manifested, this is Christ's open display of him coming. There are other words in, in Scripture that talks about Christ's future presence with his people. There's other words that talks about the visibility and the splendor of his coming or even the inner meaning of this event. But here it is saying when Christ displays that he is the one and only way to salvation, at that moment, you also will appear in glory. You will appear in glory there will be no more, well, someday, because that day will have arrived. You will be with him physically, physically with him for eternity. And J.B. Lightfoot says this, the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others and even partly from yourselves will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores now will be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. It says, there will be a day when the complete glory of God shines. It is not just a shadow anymore. And at that moment, we will all be completely revealed and will be completely exposed. And there's not going to be any lying or explaining your way out of it. But if I'm being 100% honest with you, I don't think anyone is going to try to do that. I don't think anyone's going to try to explain their way. I think the glory of the resurrected Jesus in his complete form will leave absolutely no doubt who is truly in charge. And I don't think people are going to feel like, well, let me tell you the reason why I chose not to follow you or why, why I chose this or why I was right in doing this. I don't think any excuse will seem worthy at the moment when your eyes are at Jesus. Instead, I think at that moment that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so Paul, he is telling the people, the church in Colossae, because you have died to Christ, because your life is in him, because he is your savior, continue to seek him, continue focusing on his ways, and then one day you will get to experience life to the full. But as we look at this, for someone's actions to change, your mindset has to be right first. And next week, we're going to look at some of those actions that kind of follow, but it all starts with where do you place your focus? What is important? What do you dwell on? What is your mindset to life? And so let me just get real practical and ask you a couple questions. This idea of focus. Does Jesus, or who he is, or what he would want, does that come to your mind very often throughout the week? Or are things above, very much just an afterthought. But every now and then it pops in, but not so much. Can I tell you, it really does make a difference where your focus is. Let me ask this question. When circumstances happen, are you quick to blame other people? Or do you look for ways that maybe you can be better yourself? Or how can I show God's love in this moment? 
And so in the moment, you're just like, oh, my spouse, they won't change this. Or my boss, they're always doing this. Or you're just like, my kids. Or you're like, this health condition. Or my financial situation. Or in those situations, maybe as frustrating as they are, do you look for how you can respond in godly ways? Or how you can love? Or maybe simply just how do I persevere in this moment? Keep seeking the eternal things and placing your desire on them. And that will give you the strength to make it through those things. One sermon I was watching, they were talking about this transformation of your mind. And they said, here's a question you could ask. What truths that you, what truths are there that you believe? Biblical truths that you believe, but you actually haven't thought about them lately. Like you believe it, but you haven't spent time thinking about that at all. And they said, what you should do is sit down and make a list, think about those things. And after that list, you're looking at it does that lead to some sort of action? Wow, I really believe this, but I haven't been doing this because of it, and so I should. Maybe there's some application for you. Like One thing that I would point out simply comes from Jesus' words. He said about his disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as I hear that, God's word is what changes you as you listen to it. So are you allowing him to speak to you? And are you listening? Can I tell you in this whole idea of focusing on Him, there are a couple warnings that just looking at kind of our spiritual nature of the world right now, that there's a lot of people that like Jesus, but sometimes it stops there. And it can look completely opposite. On one end of the spectrum, you have people who, I love Jesus, you know, I like Him, and I'm going to learn all sorts of information about Him. I'm going to learn about the Bible. But man, when you look at their lifestyle, like you don't see Jesus. You see lots of rules, even Bible knowledge, but there's no godly living. There's no love whatsoever, just judgment and I'm a know-it-all. Or you could swing to the opposite side of the spectrum and you see people who like to accept Jesus and claim grace, but there's no life change. There's no fruit. And so they love claiming Jesus, but if we're talking about this idea of sanctification, none of that is going on. I will tell you, both of those situations, they really hurt the church. People look at Jesus, and if they're like, okay, but I'm looking at his followers, and then I see them living this way or this way, why would I want to live that way? Can I tell you that having the correct mindset leads me to living this life that is fully in him, and that allows him to work in my life until the day that Christ Jesus returns. And every day up to that point, it allows him to fully use me. I remember one of our professors at college, when you would ask him how he's doing, his first words, he would say, I'm saved and sanctified. Like that was his response just to everyone. That's what I'm living. I'm saved and sanctified. That God has saved me and he is continuing to work on me. Man, understanding these couple big words, I am excited. I look forward to the day that we get to be with him, that glorious reunion that one day we're not living hidden in him, our life hidden in him anymore, but it is fully in him. And so as we're talking about this idea of sanctification, it leads me just to wanting to thank him, to praise him, and to draw close to him and let him continue working on me. And I think that's a challenge for each one of us this week as we go out living our lives. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful, man, for four simple verses. 
but I'm thankful for them because they point us towards you. And so I'm thankful that you are the one that works in our lives as we draw close to you. God, you continue this process and your promise is you will continue it until the day that we return with you. Father, I just pray um, that we would have strength um, to follow after you in those molding processes. God, that we would feel the blessings of that uh, on the other side. God, that people would see us and because they see us, it's not pointing towards us, but it points towards you and people want to live with you for eternity and the life that you have to offer both now and forever. Father, I pray for our hearts. God, may, man, if there are things that are coming in and trying to have us focus on them, I pray that you'd help us to have the right mindset, to place our eyes where they're supposed to be. God, to continually seek after you. And so we pray that your spirit does things immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. God, I'm thankful we don't have to do this by ourselves. So continue to strengthen us and be able to have conversations so that we can encourage and sharpen one another. And so until we see you again, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.